Thanks for tuning in. This is Mike Way with Savate's Blockchain. This is our continuing series on the Crypto Coin Con conference that was in King of Prussia a few weeks ago here in uh, August of 2018. Whole reason I was there was because of these guys. Um, I've been listening to Crypto Street podcast uh, for for several months. Um, great bunch of guys, funny to listen to, and they have a lot of interesting uh, discussions with the interviews that they do. Um, and so when they had uh, Crypto J from uh, Crypto Coin Con on their show a few months ago, um, that's kind of what, what got me there in the first place. So it was really a treat to, to see these guys and uh, to be able to pre- present this to you. So we, we do have the audio. Um, the, the video that we took uh, wasn't that great. People were moving around, people were off camera, but um, we did manage to, to salvage some of the audio. So hopefully uh, not too hard for you to listen and get some value out of that. But this is uh, the Crypto Street Podcast, guys. Killer Whale Prince uh, and Crypto Dale at Crypto Coin Con in August of 2018. So here you go. Um, we're going to have the Crypto Street Podcast guys come out and talk a little bit about what they do and, and actually open it up for questions and answers. So if you feel like yelling, you can yell it out or somebody will jump down and give you a mic. So let's bring a couple of them out. We're one of the ones getting fitted with a lapel uh, mic, but here you go. Crypto And they said, yeah, and I said, I mean, 
We do too, but we're just kind of hammering through this, uh, trying to still provide good content and you know make light of the stressful situation. So I'm obviously talking way too much. So go ahead. And that was not well. That was good. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, our podcast is mainly investor and trading focused. So um, we started in November of last year, so we've been at it for about nine, ten months at this point. Um, and we try to interview different traders, investors in the space, people who run projects. Um, we've got about 86 episodes under our belt now at this point, which is hard for all of us to believe. Um, but it's, it's been enlightening for all of us because we get to speak to smart people, like some of the people here today, um, and just learn about what they do, their insights into trading, investing. It's really focused on trading and investing, like you said. But um, my personal story is I got involved about two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, in early 2016, I was making an online purchase that required Bitcoin. Um, I made my purchase, I had my little Coinbase app on my phone, I forgot that I owned it uh, for about six months, and I looked back and like the residual I had left from the purchase had doubled at that point. And so, I had a traditional finance background too, and I didn't know much about the technology, but I did know that a double in six months was a crazy good return. So, um, at that point I, I felt like looking more into it, um, I got really involved during the Monero bull run of summer of 16. Um, I saw an article on Bloomberg about it, and I thought it was interesting. Monero is a privacy coin, um, which I think is, you know, I'm a little bit biased because it got me into crypto, but I think that's one of the more established, more useful use cases um, of crypto. So, um, yeah, so been in the environment for two and a half years, been on the podcast for about nine, ten months. Um, and here we are. So thrilled to be here. It's really nice seeing everybody here. Nice to see some of our shirts in the crowd, which still really, really trips me out. But um, I'll let Chris say a couple words now. Yeah, thanks for showing up, everyone. Uh, it's awesome being out here. Uh, it does definitely trip me out seeing people wear our shirts and stuff. Because uh, I, you know, honestly, I never, I never really listen to podcasts or anything like that. So when these guys asked me, it was like, well, what's a podcast like? Why do people do this? Uh, and then we get into it, and then it's like, oh, people kind of enjoy this, so it's like, sweet, you know, this is cool. And then you meet so many great people, so it's like, okay, this is kind of opened my eyes, it's a whole new thing, podcast stuff. And, um, you know, super thankful for everyone who actually tunes in and does listen, especially when the markets, they're pretty tough. I, you don't know, wake up today and see that going down, it's like 3.5% or something like that. Um, so that, that's never fun. But a little bit on how I got in, I got in around the same time. As a killer actually it was around the summer of 2016, and it wasn't like because I'm a trader through and through. That's what I am. I'm a speculator, uh, gambler, if you want to call it. Sometimes, uh, you know, whatever I can do, trying to money out of markets. Um, but I had been trading oil for quite a while, and then my brother kind of came up to me. And he's like, you know, have you heard about Ethereum and mining? And you know, it's like, well, what the hell is mining? And he's like, well, you build pretty much like a computer, and it's just going to solve these things, support the network, and make it pay out. So obviously, you know, my eyes lit up, and I was like, okay, we got some profit potential here. Um, but still, like, I knew next to nothing about what crypto even was and all that. So I was just, you know, throwing money at some different rigs, and uh, I was pretty broke at the time too because I just had like, failed business time to pretty much put my money. So I mean, it kind of ended up working out, thankfully. But yeah, now uh, now the bull run kind of ended, and it's all going down. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so depressing right now. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
So one question we get asked a lot is how did we come together and form this? So I think we got asked that several times. So I'll just get that out right away. Um, Killer started a Telegram group called The Pod, and it was in a drunken night. He said, "Focus on the night So um, Monday, that Monday, I was just you know cruising on Twitter and saw this and joined. And it was number fifteen in that that group, and then Prince. I think he would before me, but anyway. So it's evolved, all evolved from that. So moral, you know, we always get asked new, new people, you know, what do you suggest to, to you know to grow in this space? And it's always my answer is always networking. Uh, we wouldn't be here today or where we are with this podcast had you know we not joined this this Telegram group. So so that's kind of cool. So finding you know you can always learn things from other people. Sometimes we're in blinders. You know, you're set in your own ways. Um, and then, like, Chris is a prime example. I showed him one day, I messaged him, because he's kind of out of the three of us, the TA guru, and I sent him something and said, uh, you know, it was on Strat. I'm like, what do you think of this? And he's like, oh, that looks, that looks pretty good. And so then later that night, almost a full day later, I said, finally, my little order stayed on Strat. And he's like, well, what, what the hell are you talking about, man? I've been in it for, I've been in and out five times on this thing. So, you know, it, it helps us to have him. He's like an actual trader, you know, in and out. And uh, I kind of deem myself more of, a, of an investor. So um, with that, we'll, we'll let us show hands. Who's been in crypto less than six months? Maybe bought it at the beginning of the year. Cool. Not that many. That's kind of impressive. So you guys have, you know, you have some kind of skin in the game for some time at this point. Um, just going off the networking thing, I think everybody who's here is, you know, realizes the importance of that to some degree because you wouldn't get a cryptocurrency conference otherwise. Um, so that's again, I would echo that. That's like the main thing I've gained from crypto is just the sense of community. Um, even crypto Twitter, which is where we all kind of met up um, to begin with, is really a community. You know, sometimes a nasty, mean one, a crazy one, but um, it is a community nonetheless. It's often a very funny one, a very informative one. Um, and that, that would be, yeah, our biggest piece of advice, I guess. I mean, it, I don't think we're going to qualify to give advice directly, but it's, it's on no the financial basis. Yeah. And, uh, to speak back, I would, um, very advice. I think just build, you know, uh, you get a bear market, it sucks, your portfolio is getting hit. If you're not somebody who's going to be actively trading, uh, with margin, you know, shorting the market, because really in a bear market, that's what you want to do, you trade with the trend. Uh, just build, start building, you know, and there's so many projects out there right now, there's some projects here that I've been presenting, and it's, you know, it's very easy to get involved, it, it's super easy to get involved in, because it's so much about community, right, so just get out there, start building, and, you know, just do it all, right? Another thing I would say, too, is, like, you know, we're still really early in this game, um, you know, maybe not as early as, obviously not as early as we were, but um, some of the use cases for these things, they're coming, you know, and, and when I first got involved, my mindset was sort of, I can make some money off of this, but the whole thing is kind of BS, you know? And that has really shifted over time as I've come to know more, discover more, learn more about the entire industry, potential use cases. Um, just an a quick example is scalability, which is a limiting factor for a lot of blockchains right now. They can do things well, but they can't do things well for 100,000 people. They can do things well for 1,000 people. Um, but that's the thing that's really being attacked head on. Uh, we interviewed a project called Blocks Route about two days ago. The episode will be out on Monday or Tuesday. 
um, which is like a zero-layer solution. So like below the protocol itself, that can basically increase transactions per second by orders of magnitude for almost any blockchain. And I mean, technically, it's a little bit beyond me. I'm not a programmer, I'm more of a trader, investor. Um, but if they can do what they aim to do, then it's going to increase um, transaction speed. And it, the thing is, too, it works with sharding, it works with lightning network. So it amplifies those technologies that are currently already being developed. Um, and more and more stuff like that is going to come along, too. And I think in this day and age, too, where people's attention spans are very short, you know, we're used to the Twitter, Instagram, um, you know, look at something for 10 seconds and read a headline, that we kind of forget that this is still a very nascent technology. And, um, I mean, this stuff has only even been publicly relevant for maybe two to three years. It was very much an underground thing prior to that. Um, and so we lose sort of, we, we kind of lose sight of the fact, I think, that there are some serious developments going on, too. Um, and I'm sure, you know, obviously this bear market has been painful for all of us, but there's been a lot of really good news that's come out for a lot of different blockchains um, in the past eight months during this bear market. But the market is so bearish that it's just ignoring all of it. Um, but these developments are still happening. I mean, somebody mentioned earlier Bitcoin and Ethereum not being labeled as security by the SEC. That's huge. During the bull market, that would result in them going up 10 times. Um, it had no reaction. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of the state of the market. But, um, well, you can uh, hear from you know, Novogratz on Twitter. Um, anyone you know, like Novogratz, very, very smart investor and is pretty big in crypto. Um, and he's saying, you know, the private markets for crowd sales, you know, funding, you know, funders, they're booming, they're hot right now. But, you know, people are kind of looking at the market and it's like, well, this is a completely different story in the open market, but the private markets, with these new projects that are coming up, you know, they're going, they're hot right now. They're getting a lot of money. So, you know, it's something that comes with these booming bus cycles that we're seeing right now, we're seeing the bus out of the, you know, the wicked bore on the ad. There was a lot of crap, you know, straight up. Uh, in the altcoin market, some of these ICOs straight up garbage. Um, you know, it was just wow. people, yeah, it was just people, yeah. people looking to make a lot of money because they saw you know it was going to be pretty easy to do. So you know, to me, the next cycle we're going to see is now these very legitimate projects coming in, and you know, so we're already kind of seeing that. You know, we're hearing in the private markets it's booming right now, and you know, these projects that are really raking in a lot of money and fundraising is. You know, they're, they're serious. They're, they're not like the ICOs we were seeing, you know, 12 months ago, where it was just a piece of paper and maybe a team, one guy or two guys, you know, and then you see them going partying on the yacht with your, your money afterwards. You're not going to see that kind of stuff going forward. We always joke, we should have done an ICO like a year ago. Just no matter what it was, just done an ICO. Well, and then a lot of people are like, yeah, a lot of people We have a white paper. It's like, no shit, you should have a white paper on the website. Like, so just to be wary on that. So I think with that, we'll kind of open it up for questions. Um, if you can, help, just holler from back there. If you can, I'll come down and get you that mic. So go ahead. We're going to need my whole here. I can come down. Sure. Yeah. So, man of the people. <laughs> These are the guys who want to ask questions anyway. They're the smart ones. I don't know shit. So. <laughs> this is that last point on the private market being hot. We know like, a lot of crap came out of the ICO market. But at the same time, 
Now the average retail investor is not kind of getting on the ground floor to some extent. So that was one of the things that kind of attracted me to those that like had a chance, I didn't need to be some sort of insider. So how we now kind of recreating a little bit of the same problem that we had. And that's just one of the things that that kind of came to my mind when we were talking about that. And then my second and funny question is, where were those tough things that you guys might show up? No, we get a lot of shit for tough things. Companies.com, check them out. Home by the No tough things. Um, but yeah, definitely like, you know, that part about ICOs and anyone could get into them. That was a huge thing for me too. And, you know, I, there were projects that really before the boom started that, you know, like, um, Arc, for example, Arc is a coin that I'm sure you know, many people are familiar with. Well, that was an ICO, you know, I was a part of a long time ago, and that was a really legit project to me. Um, but yeah, it, it's changing, and this is how it's going to go, you know, it kind of, it does suck. Um, but I think in order to try to clean up the market, in a sense, it's almost like a necessary evil. And, you know, it, it's... It is, it sucks, because it does, it takes out so many opportunities, right? Like, you have these ICOs with really legit projects, and you can make some insane returns. Now those returns are going to get chopped down, because, you know, you got big boys going in first. And we've seen this even in the market right now, it's already going on, um, where you get a lot of VCs, and they get in, they get in all the good deals. You know, the VCs are getting a cheaper price than even the pre-sale people are going to get, right? So the minute the pre-sales start, they're already at two or three X on their initial. And then the main crowd sale happens, and now they're at like five or six X, right? So even that alone, you know, it really kills things because the minute the market opens, well, they're just going to dump, right? Like, what else do you do? You're already up six X. Of course, you're going to sell out, right? And so that's really, a, that is something we've been seeing. And you see alts get crushed. You know, that is part of it. Uh, there's just a lot of downward pressure, and it's, it's in large part because of how some of the funding is going on now. It has changed so much. You know, a few years ago when I got in, when there was an ICO, it was straight up and it was simple. It was, you know, there's going to be a date where it starts and a date where it ends. There's going to be none of this, you know, pre-ICO bonus deal, um, you know, none of that. And no VCs getting in secretly before it all starts. So, you know, it's kind of, the space has really changed. And it's evolving very quickly, but yeah, it, it sucks, and I, I can't can't deny that it does suck because we're losing opportunities from that. But you called it a necessary evil, which um, reminds me of an investing concept that I has always fascinated me called reflexivity. It's a concept popularized by George Soros. Um, I bet a lot of people here probably don't like Soros too much, but he was a really good investor. Um, and the concept is basically this, that it's almost like a fake until you make it thing market. Um, an example I like to use is Amazon. So Amazon, by achieving a really high price per share, that in fact enabled them to get cheaper financing, attracted more talented workers, and so it's almost, it's sort of the fake until you make it thing. Um, but the ICOs are doing a very similar thing, where a lot of these ICOs are raising a lot of money, there's a lot of garbage, but a lot of this money will in fact produce really good technology at a certain point, you know, just because we need the money to hire the developers, to attract people, to compensate people, and, you know, a lot of it's going to be trash, and it is trash, but um, it, what it does, though, is create sort of a feedback loop where all this massive amount of capital is raised, and it actually enables some of this bullshit, you know, 
to actually become usable technology that helps the space, and again, it creates a cycle which allows it to be self-sustaining at a certain point. Bullshit, my potatoes. Shut up, Sarah. You're right. Um, so, one of the, just a quick question I have for you guys, since you are so um, relevant in the sort of the social space. Um, one of the things I don't think is talked about enough, I mean, none of us here, like, like you said, we're not coders, um, we not, may not be like, the most DA experts, so what could we do? Um, I think one of the things that I see on Twitter, uh, you said a lot of good jokes, a lot of stuff, there's also a lot of toxic behavior, and it's not exactly encouraging of sort of adoption. I think technology ultimately is going to drive the adoption, but I think one of the things we need to do is make it more of an accepting space, more of an open space. Um, right now, I'm very young. Um, I'm you know, very libertarian myself. We have a lot of libertarians. That's great. But we don't want, just want a bunch of libertarian people who you know, want to you know, get away from the government. We want everyone to be able to benefit from this. We want everyone to be able to say welcome in the crypto space. What can we do as young people who are sort of driving this technology, who have an influence in the space too, to sort of create more of an accepting environment? Understanding that there are always going to be trolls, there are always going to be people who are out there to just cause harm and to, to mess things up. But the fact that you guys have a podcast, such a following, such a, you know, an opportunity here to bring people in, what, what can you do? What can I do as someone who you know, doesn't have a large following, but is active on the you know, space to sort of create an environment that we ultimately would all like to see you know, happen? I think a uh, big thing, kind of go back to something I said a little bit earlier, was get involved, start building, right? Um, get into communities because so many of these coins, you know, it's community driven, right? And so, to me, you know, it's tough because there's always going to be people who want to, you know, shit talk to you and be, you know, be a dick and just for no reason. Right? And especially when the markets get crushed, you see a lot more of it come out because people are getting hurt, right? They're watching a lot of money disappear and that affects them pretty negatively on the move. But I, I do believe, you know, the more you just get involved in the space and, you know, just approach some of these projects, you know, send them an email, send them a message and, They'll get back to you. You know, they will. And the thing is, crypto is new enough where you can make really good connections with really important people in the space in the manner that you can't in traditional finance and investment banking and name the industry that's more established. Like, um, when we were first starting out, we reached out to people like Ari Paul, um, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with, he runs a crypto hedge fund, and we could just DM him on Twitter and he would respond and talk to us. And like, that was kind of tricky for us. Um, but you need to make that worth it while that's possible, because that's not always going to be the case. I mean, crypto is going to get big enough where you cannot do that. I think it's kind of teetering on that right now, but it still allows you to make some really good connections. Um, in terms of making it welcoming to new people, that's tough with crypto and blockchain, because it's very complex, you know? I mean, I still feel like there's a massive amount I don't know, and I've been in the woods or in the weeds with it for two and a half years. Um, and so I think a big factor in that will just be making current technologies more user-friendly. Um, that's an issue I see with a lot of new projects is they're so technologically smart that they take for granted what most people know. And this is not going to be humongous until we have the average mom and pop going, oh, I know how to use this, it's easy. Um, an example I always like to give is my dad. My dad um, is invested in crypto because of me. He has a Coinbase account. I made him buy a hardware wallet because I'm like, trust me, this is the best way to store it. And he's setting it up and he calls me on the phone. He's like, so if I transfer it onto this tracer, it's going to be gone from Coinbase? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, just could not come to terms with it. Um, and so we need to get you know, to the point where the technology is easy enough for people like that to use without question. 
um, which is probably a ways off, but it's a good next step. Yeah, and, and one thing to add on to it is, you know, like, we get a bunch of DMs and stuff of people that want us to send Bitcoin to them, you know, like, the other day I got one that said, hello sir, please send Bitcoin to help pay for university costs and, you know, stuff like that. So, as long as, you know, as long as you're asking good questions to, you know, like, I say the bigger accounts, um, and it's not something that you can find on your own, I mean, they're more than happy to, to answer, you know, questions like that. Like, I sent Jebus a message last year, and, you know, he, he talked to me, and that's how we got not so fast on the podcast, was, you know, he's in a big mining place, we just sent him a message with some good questions, and then we just, you know, opened that connection right there, so... Uh, from what we found, everyone's more than willing to help as long as you're not asking, like, the, you know, where can I go buy Bitcoin at or something like that, or asking us to pay for your dog's surgery or something like that. And, yeah, we're going to do it tomorrow, so. Here's another. Yeah, so I know we kind of talked about in this bear market, you know, there's been so much bullish news that's come out that, I mean, Basically, the point has been flat. I mean, you know, Ethereum Classic got listed this week, and it was basically nothing happened, you know. And um, so back in the day, you know, you used to the huge Binance song when a new one gets listed or a one or whatever it is. But I guess my question is, like, moving forward is, well, what I almost call like a new market moving forward is, what are going to be the driving factors to make the coin move, do you think, in, you know, in your opinion? Well, so as we go and we look back at the ICO boom, it created a bit of a situation for the market where it, you know, somebody meant it's very diluted in a sense now, right? Um, they were saying that, you know, in the years past, when you were in a bear market, you would still see all coins doing the same pumps, and it would just, you know, be one by one or so, because it was a fairly concentrated market, right? You could go on one exchange and every coin was pretty much there, right? Was Poloniex was like the place to be kind of thing. That was the only place to trade. Now the market is, you know, very diluted. There's so much, there's so many different coins that naturally, you know, it, it's going to become a lot tougher. And the thing about the bear market is, you know, it, it's going to shrug off news. It, just as a bull market is very irrational, bear markets are very irrational too, right? And the thing is too, as the space gets more developed, those really amazing pumps that we all love and a lot of the reason all of us are here, those are going to go by the wayside, largely. Um, I mean, there will be more liquidity, it will be easier to trade at the price you want to, but the really massive pumps are going to decrease as the asset becomes more mature, as more money flows into the space. So it's really a double-edged sword. Um, and so, you know, going back to the question, it's, it, in terms of, I think liquidity is important, a lot of projects undersell the importance of liquidity, they are focus on the technology. But the thing is, if you expose your technology to thousands of more people on Binance, for example, you're going to have more people who are interested in it, more people who are going to contribute to it. Yeah, you have a lot of speculators, but a certain percentage of those speculators will actually contribute to the project. So I think liquidity is a huge one um, because it allows access to a coin and it allows people to have a vested interest. That's when I really become invested in the project, is when I actually have the coin. You know, that's when I really learn about it. Um, which kind of brings me to another point where, you know, if you, if you see a project that you really like, you have to get comfortable with making a decision to buy it when you're 70% certain. If you wait till you're 100% certain, most of the really good games are gone. Um, that's something that Jeff Bezos marks on. I think it's absolutely true, especially in crypto. Um, but, yeah, so I think liquidity and, you know, exchanges drive a lot of it, to be honest. Okay. Um, 
Hey, I know you guys mentioned ICOs and uh, you know lockups with venture investors, et cetera, et cetera. Don't those venture, I, I think that's kind of what my question actually was, don't those venture investors have a little bit of a problem because say they're locked for six months to a year after the coin list? I mean, I know this stuff kind of participated in the earlier venture levels. And it can also, can that be a competitive disadvantage at getting discount, so to speak? It definitely is for the active investor, but the venture capitalists who are investing in ICOs, they're used to lockups between five to 10 years. So a one to two year lockup is not a huge deal for them. Um, I mean, Prince and I have experience with Tezos kind of getting locked up against our will for about a year, but um, so it happens and it sucks. You know, it definitely is not fun. But yeah, I still think it's way more liquid than most people are used to. There's, so, you know, there's a fair amount of coins out there that when they're raising money, they will make it so that they, you know, they'll like those kind of terms, and it'll be because they just want to raise capital, right? And so that's a thing. And something we've seen is, uh, you know, I think there's been some reports coming out, you know, kind of VCs and they'll go and they'll try to pump each other's bags, and you know, it's like all their buddies, and they'll try to do it. So it's tough, but yeah, you know, there's there are there are definitely VCs who have these, you know, longer lockup periods. I've seen some of these kind of contracts and what they look like, but just as there are some of those, there are also many that they don't have any lockup and they can do whatever they want and they're going to pick up the coins, right? So this is something that goes back to the due diligence. It's tricky, and especially in crypto, because there's not a lot of transparency behind some of that stuff, right? We, it's not like a business where, you know, there's a filing and you're going to see who owns what and what, right? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's tricky, but you know, I, I think we've seen something now where, you, you know, Ethereum's gotten really crushed and large part, it kind of has to do with VCs right now because, you know, they've been holding on to Ethereum for so long and they, you know, there are other tokens, how they treat them and whatever, but Ethereum is kind of just one of those standards they just hold on to, but the minute they want to get out the door and lock in some profit, and it creates a bit of an issue, right? And so that's kind of what we've been seeing uh, with Ethereum, and because Ethereum's gotten absolutely just crushed really more than, you know, major, so And the, the ICO space really helped Ethereum on the way up, and it's really hurting it on the way down, because on the way up, all this Ethereum was getting locked in into all these different ICOs who were raising Ethereum, thus taking it off of the tradable market. So the supply was reduced, which definitely helped Ethereum go from $7 to $1,200. Um, which was obviously one of the big winners, but it's also been one of the biggest losers because a lot of these projects are going, oh shit, like we raised $30 million and now it's worth $5 million and we gotta get the hell out or else we're not gonna be able to deliver on half the promises we, we promised during the ICO. So again, it's one of the double-edged swords where it's the, the kind of the thing that benefits, it also hurts it a little bit more on the way down. There are a lot of ICOs that I think got overly greedy, and so you, like there's no doubt they got overly greedy. You know, you see an ICO they raise five million dollars, and then you know six months later the price of Ethereum is pumped up three x, and all of a sudden oh, well now we got you know fifteen million dollars, and so all of a sudden now this money that they raised, they're speculating with it. They're not using it for business purposes, like they were saying. They're almost acting like a hedge fund, you know, and, and it's like well. You can't do that. Why, why are you doing it? And that's a big thing we've also seen. And so, you know, all of a sudden, Ethereum starts to tank. Some of these later ICOs, they're going from, oh, you know, I'm going to speculate with this stash of money we raised to, uh oh, we just lost half of our value on that. 
we got to get on the door quick, right? We got to try to get through the some of this take some of this before it's all gone. So it's kind of, it's just a nasty situation of really greed and how it can just kind of get a little out of hand. And in my opinion, in Ethereum, you know, we're kind of seeing that first time right now. So. All right. It was Danny. It's got a hard one first. So we're going to go back to uh, kind of the space. And I, I kind of knew the answer before I asked it. Uh, episode. 67 was my episode. Um, but you guys have had the opportunity to really interview some unique individuals in the space and being influencers as you are. What has been your, some of your favorite ones? Can you just name a couple off the top of your head? One that jumps to mind for me is not so fast. Um, literally one of the nicest guys you can ever meet on crypto Twitter. He's got a ton of followers, probably over 100,000. He's really a mining expert. And his episodes are the ones, we got him on a couple times, where at the end of it, we all just kind of look around and we're like, holy shit, we learned a lot. Like, just tons of new information. I think that's been the biggest benefit, um, is just interviewing all these smart people and we kind of round out our knowledge more. Um, so that comes to mind for sure. I think mine would probably be Ari Paul, because honestly, I remember when the guy was like, yeah, he said he's down. Uh, I was pretty shocked because we were fairly new at the time, and you know, I think this just goes back to how crypto is kind of just continuing and reach out to these guys. You know, and what, how, how big was this fund? Like, you raised 100 million something. Yeah, like 100 million you know, bucks. Easily. You talk to some, you know, you try to do something like this, and you get a guy like that on a podcast that you know that started just starting up in traditional finance, saying they're probably just going to ignore you or say you know go away. Um, but he actually gave us the time. And you know, obviously, very busy guys. So that's definitely one that you know. Stands up to me. I don't know if I really learned a lot, but like kind of a trippy moment was we had Roger Barron, and like we were almost convinced it was a scam, or, like a fake account, like talking to us when we were scheduling it, and then we bring up the Hangouts link where we can all see each other. And we're like, that's actually Roger Barron. And we were chatting on the side, and like, holy shit, this is really like him. Yeah, and I had to catch myself and not say cash so many times during that episode just because I didn't want to offend him. Well, and we were early on in '99. Uh, I'm probably not qualified to answer that, unfortunately. 
for me, uh, I don't mind anymore. Like, the only real, I guess, in a sense, supporting a network that I do is just potatoes, and that, that's just safe from them. Um, just a proof of safe uh, mechanism. But, you know, when I first got in, like, it feels like forever ago, because I remember I was mining Ethereum back when it was like, you know, $7. And, uh, Ethereum Classic was like a spec mine for me back when it was like buck thirty, um, and then you know like I found for me it was you know I was trying to mine out of the house and the electricity and all that it really just got up there and it was like okay you know like, for me in this situation not really worth it anymore, um, but yeah it was really just Ethereum and Ethereum Classic back when I first started and I wasn't uh, selling them off right away it was I was just trying to hold them and I just. So that's where the electricity goes and all that started to get a little heavy and uh, figured it was time to maybe shut down. So I definitely say that the mining aspect is one area where we're, as a podcast, where we are really weak, um, knowledge-wise. I just actually, with Windfall, myself, and well, we did Zell, and then now I'm Raven, pretty much Dan messages me and was like, hey, you should start mining this. Okay, go ahead. So that's kind of... I would say we're, we're, we're really weak in that knowledge. And that's why when Nazo was on, like Joe said, we're just like, at the end of it, we're like, whoa, what the hell did he just, you know, like, we learned a crazy amount, and I listened to all his episodes several times just to try to grasp what he's saying. So, so I've been in the space in and for a couple years now, being as a holder. But I'm looking at potentially moving that into the investing and eventually the trading aspect. What resources would you suggest for something like me that's been in and out of the space for a little bit, but is looking to take that little bit of knowledge that he has and move on to actually potentially maybe going full time trading or investing, things like that? Stay away from leverage. Um, 100%. You know, people will show you their fitness for things and all this. Don't go on there. Uh, if it's hard, though, you should go on. You know what? Here's the thing. I, you know, I'm just, I guess, from my past pains, um, trying to start out and really, you know, get kind of a groove in trading and doing that with leverage, it's going to be a lot of pain, usually. And, you know, I think something about trading is, you almost you pay your tuition with your losses, right? It's something that you're going to learn from. You can't really go, you know, you can't go to school for it. Like, you know, I've been to the university to learn how to be a trader. Um, it, it's tough, right? And so I've eaten some massive losses. Um, but I would say some of my biggest losses have come just from being an idiot using too much leverage. Second, um, I really think a lot of people are, are best off just holding it. Um, it's true of traditional equities. I think it's largely true of crypto as well. You know, the crypto markets are easier to trade than stocks because they're less competitive. Um, but I think, yeah, a lot of the time, going full-time crypto and full-time trading is really tough. Um, I don't think I can do it. I think Prince does it well because he's a better trader than I am. But for a lot of people, it's, it's something that I think they can buy, Yeah, and, you know, they always say you should never quit your full-time job in the bull market because it's kind of hard not to make money. So if you can make money in a bear market, that's what I would, I can't, I'm not, like I said earlier, I'm an investor, not a trader like Prince, so that's why I'm still working a full-time job. Um, yeah. I think you already mentioned this, but uh, three questions. Um, what's the most promising ICO that disappointed you? What's the least promising ICO that surprised you? And has there been an ICO that actually made a working product? And how much have you made off that? 
I'm going to answer this before they do. The most to least consensus, then. Oh, send. Send. And then for me, the least to most would be mainframe. Um, so we kind of all obviously talk every day, and you know we're bouncing ideas off everybody. And start to, I don't know if I'm going to Twitter, but start to Roy messaged me one day and was like, hey, do you want to get in this ICO? And I'm like, God, I should tell these guys about it. And I'm like, what if it's a piece of shit? And it falls apart, and they'll sit and they'll be, you know, making fun of me all the time for throwing some money at me, so I didn't. And then another buddy of ours is like, hey, you guys see mainframe doubled? And I'm like, oh, shit. And he wasn't even watching it, and those guys are like, no, I didn't get it. And I'm like, thanks, Dale. Uh, I did, and that's exactly what I was like, thanks, Dale. So, um, my best performing ICO is definitely Jane Chain. I don't know. Wait, what did you say? There's a lot of people who have gotten pretty crunched by that. And I think that's kind of maybe there's a lesson in there that, you know, when you see something, they only raised that at the time, it was like 15 million. Um, so, you know, it's a chunk of money, but relative to some other projects, not that much, oddly enough to say. Um, and so they, they went kind of crazy. They pumped, you know, they got over a million dollar market cap. And I think this is kind of maybe like a, a lesson, you know, the psychology of markets. It gets up there and everybody decided, you know what, I gotta buy Dragon Chain. Everybody wanted to buy Dragon Chain. It was like the most topical coin there was, right? And now I think what is, it's gotten crushed. Like, it's down like 90%. Yeah. But like it had a whole run. But again, it was like five dollars. So, you know, it, there's a good lesson there, I think. You know, when you see something, you know, everybody's kind of getting hyped about it. And then you look at the chart and you see, oh, well, this is already up like 20x in a matter of, you know, three months or something. Um, probably not the best choice to be done with Next, we got our man over here. Hey, I'm good with it. I'm Thanks for sure. I'm doing it for the swag. And uh, my question is, why should anybody in this room care at all about regulations? Well, everybody cares about prices, right? Um, regulations are going to affect prices somewhere. But, you know, it's, that's a tough question for me uh, because, you know, sometimes I'm, you know, I'm like, why do I care about regulations, right? It's like, you know, I, I use Bitcoin because it's mine, you know, I'm in control of it. Um, but, yeah, regardless, you know, I, I think we got to care about prices um, for our portfolio's sake. We have to, you know, kind of watch what's going on because, you know, regardless, this is a market that fluctuates quite a bit and, you know, any kind of regulatory decision will it will you know, impact price action quite a bit, right? So. Yeah, I've really been impressed actually with regulations so far. I think the U.S. is taking a pretty conservative measure approach with regulation, which I'm kind of surprised about, honestly, because crypto is a really tough subject to understand. So the fact that they're approaching it cautiously, diligently, um, has been impressive to me. Why should anybody care? Um, maybe they shouldn't. I don't know. I'm, I'm, maybe we don't have the answer to that yet. Um, I mean, that's kind of part of the big point of crypto is it's this thing that's kind of off the grid where you, you know, it's decentralized, it's run across the world, and nothing can stop it. So uh, I think that's very much true of something like Bitcoin where it would be hard for the government to shut it down. But regulation, it would be very easy to shut a lot of projects down. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're in anywhere resembling a diversified portfolio, there are going to be a lot of projects in your portfolio that could get killed by the government, some government. Um, again, I don't think that's really an issue with something like Ethereum or Bitcoin yet, but it's certainly the case with 98, 99% of points.
and can right or wrong or whether it will happen, I think for large mass adoption, I think there's got to be some regulation. I don't know if. Well, and even just, you know, kind of controlling the market, because there's a lot of shady stuff that goes on um, within, you know, you, you'll see announcements happen and then you look at the chart and you're like, oh, wow, somebody was buying that up pretty heavy just 10 minutes before that came out, right? And this is, you know, very common in crypto. You, you see this just all the time, right? You know? And even on Bitcoin, sometimes you'll see it happen. So, you know, it, it's tricky. And I think maybe if there was maybe like a controlling force um, just for, you know, market action, just, you know, what's going on might not be a bad thing. But, you know, to me, again, regulation is a tricky topic because, you know, I like, you know, the thing about Bitcoin is you are in control of your own money, right? Um, sure, maybe it fluctuates quite a bit, but that's yours. And, you know, there's nobody else that's going to be touching it, so. All right, we got Bill Crypto Chapel back here, who we drank many beers with last night. First of all, thank you to the team for this thing together. Uh, happy to be here from my own courts uh, as a media partner, so thanks guys. Uh, question I've got for you guys is that you know, with a recent downturn here in the market this year, uh, there's probably more naysayers, non-believers in the future of cryptocurrency than ever. Uh, I feel like I'm having that 30 second to minute long conversation with people who don't believe often, so I'd be curious what your 30 second spiel uh, to the naysayer sounds like. Mine is that there's too much money. This is not going away. There are too many established players in the space. Uh, firms like Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the biggest VC firms in the world, uh, are heavily invested in crypto, not to mention dozens of others that are heavily invested in the space. And we talked to a lot of people who got involved a lot earlier than we did, let's say 2013, 2014. And one of their biggest fears after that bubble popped was that all this is going to zero. You know, this is like, this was a failed experiment, it's not going to work. And so they had that to think about on the downside. I think people who have been, who've been invested as long as some of us have, um, that's no longer a question. Like, we know this is a bear market, we know it sucks, but we're not thinking, oh, this is completely going to zero. So I think it's established enough where it's not going away completely. Um, obviously, it's going to have ads and flows, but that's what I try to convey to people. I think, yeah, you know, 30 seconds spiel, they got to get educated on market cycles. It's going to happen, you know, boom and bust cycles, especially with an asset that is, you know, really, it's, it's tiny. Yeah, it's tiny. It's valuable. It's still so, you know, so small. So these boom and bust cycles, they're going to be really intense uh, just because of that. And so we've seen that. You know, we see Bitcoin go from like $500 all the way up to 20 k You know, of course we're going to have a crash. Right, like you can't think it's going to keep going up to 50k if there's something like that, right? So we, get, you know, there has to be a crash, and then you know it'll probably continue. But you know the valuation of it is so small, you know I don't really, I don't really see it as going anywhere. Right? My answer is my mom bought this. So. I was just wanting to extend that conversation. Have you seen maybe my Miller? Uh, don't buy the coins on crash. You have to see fifty-five seconds. It's awesome. You know, and Anthropolis. Trace is super smart. Um, I think 
Keeping it in perspective is important too. Um, so coming from traditional markets, if you get 8 to 10% per year, that's pretty standard for the S&P 500. 8 to 10% per year. That's like a good day in crypto. Um, so even with this gigantic crash, Bitcoin is still up, what, 600% in the past three years, which is a ridiculous return. And that's after this gigantic bubble pop. And so if you can just kind of wait out and ride the fluctuations out and you have that discipline to stay invested, you can make a hell of a lot of money. And again, keeping it in perspective, I think is super important. I'm sure you may have made multiple two hundred day moving average. The price of Bitcoin about two hundred day, you said one average is mostly around one and a half. Mm-hmm. When it gets above two, less than five percent of time to stay there. And when it's a low point six point seven like a month ago, mm-hmm. less than five percent of time Bitcoin average stays up to the perfect time to buy. Thank you. Okay, question, right? Yeah, sure. Still on that. What's up, bro? Um, so, like, the Chinese, like, all the regulation that's currently going on with uh, the huge, like, uh, economy there, they, uh, they like to have their own, like, companies like Lebo and Alibaba and stuff like that. So, what kind of are your, like, plays in the future from what kind of Chinese coins or, like, like that? Thinking about the R&D, I guess, is what they're looking for. So it's kind of the future. I don't know. China's a choice topic. Um, I I tend to be very uh, you know cautious. And there's a good uh, flick that came out. It's called the China Hustle, and I'm sure some people have seen it. And you haven't, I would definitely recommend watching it because I think a lot of what has uh, happened in some of the alt markets. With the coins, you can watch this movie and you can say, "Wow, this this is pretty much, in a sense, happening." Uh, you know, in some of the alt markets, uh, they are very good. You know, they know how to run a stock up. They know how to play the game, and it's no different in an alt market. If anything, it's easier in the alt market. So, China is a tricky topic for me because they definitely run. You know, when it comes to crypto, they are you know a powerhouse, right? They got you know the mining. They got it all, you know, some of the biggest holders of Bitcoin, you know, out in China. So it is a very tricky topic, but, you know, I tend to check carefully there. Yeah, in terms of, like, promising new projects originating from China, um, I'm sure there are some that I know about, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chinese is here, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Could you talk a little bit about Nashville's whole test, the consensus mechanism? Investment vehicle, maybe some of the projects that you like now. Um, of course, our friends at Pivx, but maybe some, uh, some of the newer ones that you like. Sure. Um, so, Mastercard is something that has interested me for a long time. I've been hesitant to actually run some myself because technologically they're kind of tough to set up if you're not very technologically adept. Um, one coin that you know I think is doing a good job of addressing that is GIN. G-I-N. It's basically a service that allows you to enable masternodes more easily. I think they have PIVX on there at this point. Um, they have probably hundreds of different points where you can more easily set up a masternode for those points through the Jin platform. And then Jin in and of itself has a masternode as well. So that's something I've been more interested in, especially during this bear market where you want to create some passive income, have something coming in when you're doing crap with the own like I've been doing. So, um, I think they're very interesting, and I think, you know, you talk about consensus mechanisms, one of the things you can do with your gin is vote if you have a masternode on whether they add this coin or that coin to the platform, 
And so it's a good way to get invested and have skin in the game. And that's been, again, when you're going to become most interested in the project, is when you actually have a vested interest in it. So. You know, I don't really, uh, I don't have anything to ask too much. I pretty much do anything, I guess, in a uh, you know, network consensus and supporting it. It's just potatoes, uh, just baking. It's on the really cool system, by the way. It's really simple. Delegated on the space, yeah. But the one thing I would say, you know, and now is getting to be a better time to look at mastering of coins. There was kind of like a hype phase over Mastermind Coins when we were still in the same bull rally. And I found it kind of confusing because, you know, why do you want to have all this capital locked up when there's so many other trade opportunities to be had, right? Um, and now we've seen, you know, I think uh, Z Coin is a classic. Like, They're on uh, uh, as well. Yeah, and you know, you saw how like much uh, Mastermind was worth at the peak, and it was, uh, it was around half a million. And now you can get one for about two BTC. So the thing about Masternodes is there's so much supply that gets locked up. And at the end of the day, supply and demand is going to run the market, right? You get into a bear market, people are going to start selling off because they think, oh, you know, I need to protect some money. And this is probably going to be, you know, that's when you want to start looking at Masternodes again. But, you know, when you get into the full swing of a crazy bull run, we saw a lot of people, you know, kind of as it goes with trading is you tend to do the opposite of what you probably should be doing and then you lose money because of it. And you know, that was you know, a lot of people were buying astronauts when we were in the full swing and kind of near the top and they had gotten really hit hard. So that, that's my thing is you know there's a time and a place I like astronauts, but to me when you know bull market's in full swing, not the greatest thing to be holding because you could probably be doing better things with your capital. But you know, come a bear market and stuff like that, yeah, you know, accumulate points. And then when it comes back, you're gonna be set, right? You're in a better position than you were. Some of the residual. You got time for maybe three, two or three more questions. So guys, fan of the podcast. Awesome. First thing I want to say is I, it's funny to see you guys in person. Prince, I probably could have guessed you look like a former hockey player. Killer, I wouldn't have guessed. They don't look exactly what I would have thought. Even with the antlers on Under Armour logo, like you look like if I were a person. So it's kind of funny. With the question like that. Um, but a couple questions. So one was just, when you guys do a collaboration with Chip on Talk, I think that would be fun. Um, but my question is more along the lines of like investing. So like, when you guys are looking to take positions, I've listened to guys like maybe one Pat on talks about like average down. Basically, take like what one percent of his um, whole portfolio, go two percent, point two percent at a time, and then he'll just basically average down until price goes back up. If he only buys a period of time, so point six percent, then he's in the green. So I was just wondering what you guys, how you guys strategize on that end, if it's anything like that, or if it's uh, something a little bit different. Mine is way different from Native Coins, to be honest. I mean, Native Coins is a very smart guy, but he invests in like hundreds of coins at a time. Like, like you said, maybe 0.5% of his portfolio on each coin. I think, yeah, I think over diversification is a real issue because as a young person, you know, you read Bloomberg, you read Fortune, Forbes, whatever, diversification gets drilled into your head over and over and over. And so I think people go too far though because you want to make your bets pay off. And in the projects you really believe in, you want to have enough of a stake in them where if you're right, it's going to boost your whole portfolio up like not. So I try to keep maybe six to ten positions total. So it's, it's way different than that. Um, and I do think a lot of this stuff is going to be consolidated into the really big projects. 
um, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Monero. Um, so it's, it's very different. You know, for me, when I'm looking at building a position, I'll probably scale in over a matter of a week or two weeks. Um, but one thing I really, you know, and obviously you got to remember, you know, your situation, where the market is right now, because it all changes. Um, and, you know, I actually got burnt because I didn't adapt and change my style as the market was uh, transitioning. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I remember reading some, uh, it was from Stan Jump the other and, you know, anyone's talking about it with him, he was, you know, a big time hedge fund trader. Um, he used to trade for Soros too, so, you know, learn right under him. And his big thing was when you're right, you can't own enough of it, right? And you really step on the gas. And you pedal to the middle, and you're gonna, you know, you load up on that thing. Now, that was a great, you know, way to play it when you're in a full bull market, but then you have to realize uh, the type of market you're in, because once it goes to the market, that's going to get you pretty burned pretty quickly, right? Um, so again, you know, like we said uh, Unicoin is you know kind of one percent of his portfolio. I bet you Unicoin has a much larger portfolio than the average guy, but one percent, you know, yeah, that can make a nice tail when it goes, right? Not everyone is in that same situation, so you have to judge your portfolio size and how you're going to play it. You know, like I, I, I used to trade pretty stupid at times, where but when you have small capital amount, you tend to have to maybe take a little bit more risk on the table if you actually want to make something out of it. Yeah, concentrated bets are going to get you rich. Diversification will help keep you rich. Yeah. But it's, I mean, Chris and I talk about this all the time, where when we first started out, we'd go all into like Ethereum or even like Ripple, you know, which we were buying like half a cent. Um, and it seems ridiculous, I don't know. But um, it, it, like we were dealing with like 500 bucks to begin with, you know? And so in my mind, I was like, okay, I'll either be poor or like a little bit more poor. And so, or I'll make a whole lot of money. And I think that's an underrated mindset to have actually. And if you really feel convinced that something's gonna go up, pile it to it, you know? I mean, again, not investment advice, but. Just yeah. be aware of the market conditions because you know, it works in a bull market. But when you're in a bear market like it is now, and you're going to try to play that same way of, you know, really trying to get size under that position, to me it's not necessary. I think crypto is so correlated though that even in a bear market, it doesn't really matter that much if you're overly diversified. I mean, correlations are massive on these points. If something is down 80%, everything else is probably down just about 80% too. And it's just the nature of the markets. They're small enough where there's not... Um, there's not a discrepancy or you know a diversion or anything. It, all these things move largely together still. Um, and so yeah, I, I really don't think it even helps that much for the outside thing that was the Well, then you got to find out what works for you the best. Like me, when he sits and babysits eggs, um, so he can do that a lot. Like Taylor said, I've got maybe 10, 15, and that's about the max that I can handle. And I just try and find the lowest support and then you know put my bids there and then a little bit of that and put the average down. Before, so. uh, we got a question back here for Prince. So I do have a question for Prince, and I do have a question for all of you guys. So you guys have finance like backgrounds. For just normal asset allocation with crypto traditional markets, what do you think is an appropriate percentage for crypto versus real estate traditional markets? And Prince, when you're going to Indian or out like a sold deal there? Well, uh, they wanted to like fight last night, but then he sobered up a bit. Well, I took my shirt off and then he said, no, we're not going to do But seriously, I didn't take my shirt off. You know, I think uh, allocation-wise, 
you know, I got gold, you know, I had a lot of gold and silver, so I, you know, I make sure that I have medals to, uh, you know, I'm not into real estate yet, definitely something. But I think, you know, having exposure to different markets, yeah, like that definitely, absolutely, you know. Um, you know, the whole diversification thing within crypto is kind of a funny topic to me because, you know, like Kelly said, when the market's going down, they're going to be going down with it, and it does not matter how diversified you are because you're going to be losing money anyways. Um, but when it comes down to diversifying into separate markets, you know, uh, different markets, I think, yeah, absolutely, keep on it. Yeah, that's the same thing. Um, I think the answer I would give is different than what I actually do myself, which is kind of weird to wrangle with. You know, I'm probably too heavily in crypto, to be honest. Um, but at the same time, I feel like my risk tolerance is high, you know, so I don't really mind the crazy fluctuations. And again, you have to find something that works for you, whether that be manically trading one minute candles on BitMEX or whether it be buying and holding and not looking at your portfolio forever. You have to find something that fits your emotional profile, your risk tolerance, your age. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's important to diversify. I definitely should have done more of it during the bull market. And now I'm kind of in a situation where I don't want to sell some of these bags because everything's so low. When I, I still probably should, but stop because the emotions they hold. By the way, I'm not making, but making more than you. All right, final question. Uh, so my question is, as sports with cryptocurrency in the near future, um, what do you think is better for the market or its value? Is it, is it stability or volatility? Because volatility seems to bring about the interest, the immediate interest from everybody. But stability, I would imagine, would probably bring the mass adoption because then it's, uh, I think stability will come naturally with time as the markets become more mature. I think the volatility is going to increase naturally. And so, which is better? They're both good for different reasons, like you said. I think it's just a matter of how the market progresses from going to this crazy wild, wild west where you can make 200% in a day, um, you know, towards being more like traditional equity markets where mom and pop get interested in investing. So, which is better? I don't know. I think they're both important for different reasons, but I think they're both going to happen. Yeah, the volatility is to me very important. Uh, without the volatility, you know, the interest, it's not going to be the same, right? And so, you know, I, I always see these uh, you know, new projects talking about trying to make a peg coin. There seems to be more and more of those coming out these days as the market's getting hit. Um, to me, though, it's kind of just like whatever. If I want a peg coin, I'll probably just hold dollars, right? Um, I'm not going to hold crypto. So, you know, to me, volatility is a necessary thing, especially as going forward, because it gets the attention. Yeah, and let's have some volatility until we can all make our own, and then let's just say the last one. So, um, Javier told me, to, told me to wrap this up. So, um, thanks everyone for asking great questions. Thank you guys if, if you are a regular listener of the podcast. We appreciate the support. Um, we get best, cool messages all the time from people, and that you know kind of keeps us going, and kind of in a bear market like this keeps us recording, um, I think we've got, we're recording five nights next week out of the seven. Yeah. Uh, Prince and I are on vacation the last week in August, so we're trying to pump out a bunch of episodes so that we can keep that going. So uh, we'll be around the rest of the afternoon. If you didn't get a free shirt, we've only got a limited number of shirts and stickers back there, so head on back if um, if you didn't get one. Head up that shirt on Colleen. Uh, thanks again, guys, for having us. We'll be around, so hit us up with some questions. Uh, in the afternoon. So thanks a lot.